Hello and welcome. I'm Jill Martin, the host of the Morning Bell podcast. On today's podcast, Michael Pryor joins Luke and me. Michael has published more than 25 fantasy books and over 40 short stories from literary fiction to science fiction to slapstick humor. Michael has been shortlisted six times for the Aurealis Awards, has been nominated for a Dittmar Award, and six of his books have been CBCA notable books, including three books in the Laws of Magic series. On the podcast today, we chat about Hidden Figures, La La Land, and The Great Wall. For the topic, we chat about the idea behind serving your audience, working within a genre, while at the same time trying to play around with conventions within it. It's an interesting discussion, and we always enjoy having Michael's insightful comments on the podcast. As always, if you have any questions, don't hesitate in contacting me on my email, mailbox at thepenofjoel.com. Next week, we won't be at the Brunswick Street Bookstore, but instead covering the Somerset Celebration of Literature Festival in the Gold Coast, Australia. We hope to see you there. And if we don't catch you there, you can always catch up on our episodes on the Morning Bell website. Thanks again, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell podcast. Today, we are at the Brunswick Street Bookstore, and Luke is back on the mic. Yes, indeed, he's filling in for Ian, who's... uh, Got some work coming up for him on the mic uh, in a few weeks, so Luke's here, soldiering away. How are you going, Luke? <laughs> Still good. Going Still good? good? Yep. What have you been up to? How has your week been? Uh, still recovering from the appendix surgery, but getting there, doing mm-hmm. fine. Um, uh, did I mention l- last week, that, or last podcast, that I was um, watching a lot of debates and things? No. Well, I am now, so there you go. Interesting. Lots of debates, which I've, I never really got into debates when I was in school. I thought they were really boring. And even now, I think debates are a bit overly structured. Mm-hmm. So I've been enjoying a mixture of like discussions and debates. But mm-hmm. um, it's always a bit on the nose when the, the moderator's like, you're running out of time, you're running out of time, <laughs> you're running out of time. Any particular uh, speakers that have caught your attention that you might find interesting or compelling? Well, Sam Harris, for instance. Yeah. Um, Richard Dawkins. Yep. Christopher uh, Hitchens, by any chance? Christopher Hitchens, fantastic. Yep. Um, William Lane Craig, mm-hmm. uh, bunch of I, I don't remember all of the names. Obviously, there's uh, a few good discussions by similar people as well. But yeah, lots of they're very very well. Obviously, I'm going to prove myself not in a second. Articulated, worded, <laughs> <laughs> men of men of many words. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. <coughs> this goes on the blooper reel of uh, the blooper t- reel. <laughs> twenty seventeen. But it's absolutely um, inspiring the, mm. the, how many words they know from from that you can like. Even if you don't know what they mean exactly, you suddenly like ah. That's what it means. You yeah. take it from the way in, they in, use it in context. It's yeah. easy to pick up on. Yeah, they're very well articulating. Mm. They they articulate well. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, it's curious because um, they. I think the interesting thing with a lot of these debaters is they, they. Well, I'm sure there are professional debaters among them, but in many of these cases, these are people who feel incredibly strongly or are very well educated on a particular subject or topics, mm. and then they you know go forth and do good work pretty much. Mm. Um, it, it's interesting following a lot of uh, debates. There was a um, the National Secular Society 
um, in Britain. They they have really interesting um, uh, talks, and mm-hmm. it's it's quite curious. It's odd you mentioned that because I was watching one last night, um, and it was on the ideas of uh, religion and uh, tolerance in society. It was a very uh, well done debate. Um, Which debaters were there? You don't remember? I uh, a couple. Um, uh, th- Ayan Hersi Ali, I, 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 yeah, that yep. might ring a bell. Um, Majid Nawaz, uh, he's a he's a very good debater. He's Don't a, recall him, yeah. Um, uh, intelligent man, and uh, Douglas Murray, I think he's a author and correspondent. And okay. um, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it was just an interesting debate and um, worth a watch. But yeah, yeah you're it's right; good. it's very entertaining, and you feel better at the end of it. You man, wow world has very smart people in it um, for the most part. And then you look in the mirror and you're like, oh. <laughs> well, maybe that's just me. <laughs> but well, it's, um, it's a mixture of that. For me, it's like it also makes me think, well, I could get there too. I don't, I don't, my brains aren't terrible. I'm sure <laughs> if, I put my, if I put my mind to, yeah. to work and started you know, reading more and memorizing more. And yeah, it's, every it's, time I listen to people like uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, Neil Gaiman, um, oh. All these like really, yeah. really like intelligent, widely read, mm. widely written people. Yeah, it's just it it pushes me to try as well. Isn't Neil Gaiman also- just a book of quotes though? <laughs> <laughs> I believe he's a book of quotes incarnate <laughs> that just walks around mic to mic and is just like people make books on his speeches. You know, it's just <laughs> I don't think he does it consciously. I just think he's a very articulate person. But um, man, he, I think he he gets under. Um, gets into people's minds even more deliberately. Uh, well, he, he probably does that unconsciously, but in a more deliberate fashion than, say, someone like uh, Terry Pratchett, his, his friend, right? Mm-hmm. Like Terry Pratchett, we can quote a few things, but we don't, we we, we don't really remember um, the guts of a lot of his talks and speeches like we do with Neil Gaiman. You know, mm-hmm. it's like make good art speech, for instance. That that's gone all around the world, and mm-hmm. you know, artists talk about that. Um, and yeah, I think there's. I think there's a lot of factors to this. I think there's a lot, it comes from your voice. It comes from how you intone. It comes from um, the way you speak to people, or how you can um, appeal to people's sensibilities. It's really mm-hmm. interesting. But uh, we could go on about this yeah. <laughs> for all time. But instead, let's introduce our guest, That's a good uh, Michael Pryor, returning guest indeed. Uh, thank you for coming on. Joel, Luke, good to be back. It is a pleasure to have you. Um, how has your week been, Michael? What have you been it's, up to? It's been it's been a good week. It, uh, working hard, a couple of professional developments mm-hmm. that I'm going to sort of uh, live vague book and say I can't tell you much about them. <laughs> oh, they're exciting! It's an announcement of an announcement. And so, mm. yeah, yeah. Keep well, watch this space, and something yep. will come of it. Fantastic. But uh, cu- uh, just a couple of uh, media-related things of my own that uh, I mentioned to you earlier, Joel, that I went to that theatre last night and saw a very funny play, the play that goes wrong. Uh, Not highbrow, but extremely funny. Mm. (laughs) And I did see a movie with some uh, genre relation, I suppose, for uh, my sort of science fiction writing, and that was Hidden Figures, uh, nominated for Academy Award. Uh, Excellent. Uplifting in the best possible way. a well-made movie, well-paced movie, excellent acting, and it uh, it focused particularly on that that era of the space program that I'm a real fan of. That it, it was my sort of movie in, in mm. so many ways. Glad I saw it. Mm. It's the this is a great human story, isn't it? Uh, that, Wonderful. That um, 
and and you see that a lot in like sports movies and things like that where it has the same sort of Hmm. Um, build up. I've and heard a lot of good things. That well. same sort of trajectory of the downtrodden yeah. the underdog, and then there is a moment mm-hmm. where they stand up. We're not going to take this anymore. Yeah. And that is it. Just about every every sports movie too. Yeah. The the the, the, um, the underdog, the unlikely and there's hero. There's a moment yeah. of crisis where they're going to stand up and they're going to achieve. And yeah. and everyone it's loves like, it. Even you know, even people who don't like sports go watch those movies and they're even though you know, know what's going on. Yeah. You, you, you <laughs> can't help but be swept away. Yeah. Yeah. Go, yeah, you go. Yeah, that's and right. It and it was, and you felt like you were cheering something worthwhile too in mm. this one, especially. And yeah. uh, and they did the the classic uh, afterward the the epilogue mm-hmm. where they showed mm-hmm. oh, uh, the real the real people figures, yeah. and their photos matched to the actor ah, right. and and the actual uh, the facts of that person's mm. career and just a just astonishing the mm. uh, groundbreaking that they did in a very tough time. I yeah, love, I love that kind of thing that they do with uh, war movies, especially when they have the the pictures of the people and yeah. and how it followed and what they really did. Oh, it's and incredibly affecting. It's yeah. very, it's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Good movie, Real, well worth seeing. Hot warmer. Well, Michael has segued quite naturally into the media section, so let's uh, <laughs> let's go from there. Um, I saw a film, and we'll go to Luke, because I imagine he will be quite positive with a few, at least, hopefully, maybe, uh, of his, uh, let's hope anyway, because we can sandwich this negativity, um, is I went and watched the movie The Great Wall. Now, uh, as most people probably know by this time on the podcast, we started the podcast, and I was quite the negative on, on a couple movies, and people commented, Joel, do you like any movies that come out in the last five years? To which I usually answered, yes, I do, but I just never mention them. Um, and then there was a gradual progression, like the hero's journey within this podcast itself, where I eventually <laughs> turned around, where I became the bad movie apologist, where I would come in with a terrible film, and I would argue for its... Um, its uh, its strengths. Uh, I did so with Dracula Untold, which was a pretty bad movie, but which I extolled the virtues of. Um, it had its moments. It had its moments. I, I thought it was a good movie, <clears throat> but and 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 you know I'm doing it again. So here we are. We've come full circle. Is this going to be the Macbeth moment? Is this going to be where Joel says no more, no more bad movies? I'm going to only watch good films. Dun dun dun. Or is it going to be and you know you know that. I d- the character doesn't change, and so he pays for his mistakes. Well, we'll see, because I went and watched The Great Wall, and by all accounts, I, I had a choice of uh, what I wanted to see for the podcast this week, and it- one was Hidden Figures, um, and I'd heard very good things. Uh, Frankie, I think, was the other, um, and I had heard also very good things. And then I heard The Great Wall, which I had heard mostly bad things. So, <laughs> surprise, surprise, I saw The Great Wall. Um, now, th- there's a couple caveats to this. Uh, for anyone who's uh, at all upset about um, whitewashing or anything on that subject, I really hope you go read the director's um, uh, remarks on this. Um, and he himself is a Chinese-based director, and he does a lot of work there, and he's very strong in his comments on why he picked um, Matt Damon and, and Western actors to act in a movie with a predominantly and huge... Um, Asian cast, so go watch that if you have any concerns. I'll read that rather. Um, with that out of the way, let's talk about the film itself and the people in it. So the film has um, the wonderful Matt Damon, 
of recent um, Everyone Loves Him because he was in The Martian. And uh, he's, he's a very good actor, very likable, and uh, the most roles he plays, people enjoy it. Um, so he's the, he's the leading man, as it were, in this film. It's interesting. Um, so he plays a character called William, uh, and he is a roguish archer um, looking for purpose, kind of a, you know, vagrant, uh, along with his friend, um, Pedro Pascal's character, who is, uh, this, uh, Milanese, um, sword fighter, just a roguish guy. You can see a trend here. Um, and they're just generally speaking, amoral characters. So these no good, um, people come to China looking for gunpowder so that they can bring it back to the West or steal gunpowder so they can bring it back to the West. Um, so they find the Great Wall, and lo and behold, it wasn't there to keep the Mongols out. It was instead there to keep dragons out. <laughs> now, uh, it's a pretty good concept, okay. with all things considered. It's, uh, it uses a monument which we all can immediately identify with, and we can go... And There's something quite spectacular about things like the pyramids and you know these great wonders of the world that we can easily see it being something more something fantastical so you know good job um as per stargate where the pyramids were actually spaceships yes that was really <laughs> odd um it's fantastic very strange uh so yeah so we've got the great wall we've got these really interesting well-designed dragon creatures i, I thought they were quite interesting they look more like dinosaurs than they do dragons um Cut a long story short. Let's talk about chemistry in this the movie. The Great Jurassic Wall. Yeah, it, it pretty much is. But it, it takes the warsy approach of billions of these things, you know, clambering over each uh, other to try and The zombie effect. Yes, uh. they, they're basically zombie dragons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, this got good. So, and, and, and the thing is, I walked into the movie and I was expecting just bad things from the start to the end. But the, for the first 40 minutes, hour, it was really surprising. Again, this is the bad, you know, Movie apologist coming out yeah, here. Apologies, yeah. um, it had really good, and you know, a lot of people go to uh, movies to see spectacle, to see uh, things that we don't get to see. So, yes, it had plenty of that. I think the CGI was good, actually. Uh, very rare that I find CGI that can really feel tangible. Mm. Um, but the whole interaction between these characters and these uh, creatures, which are evidently quite powerful, um, was good. And that first fight showed desperation and tension and it was engaging right as soon as characters started to talk this is where things went wrong um the chemistry between uh william and the commander lynn i believe her name is um Uh, the forced romance the forced romance now for anyone wondering they didn't push it that hard but what they did push was still quite uncomfortable because it was like watching two um glaciers being attracted to each other um and it just there was nothing it was it was very cold and and it was very sad because um the interaction instead between matt damon and pedro pascal's character was good vibrant and you know uh, it had a kind of charm to it because both of these characters, one, we we immediately place them at the start of the movie. We introduce some sort of shared common goal yeah. and they're bound together and they're both funny and humorous towards each other. But as soon as they interact um, with other characters, even Willem Dafoe, who is used to the worst effect in this movie, he's just a random, <laughs> no good Westerner who comes to steal gunpowder as well. And he's just there. It's really strange to see Willem Dafoe, an actor who's, you know, tremendous. Yeah. 
yep. being used as this odd side it's, character. It's a waste. <laughs> it, a real waste. Um, and it was there, obviously, to get the name and, you know, bring in the mm. people, which is, yeah, awful. Um, so instead, towards the end of the movie, and I'll cut this short because uh, we really don't want to go on about this, but we get towards the end of the movie um, and <laughs> we have... Pedro Pascal's character completely ignored. He doesn't show up for the entire third act of the movie. Um, off screen in jail is pretty much how I'd describe it. It's tra- it's tragic. <laughs> they create this great chemistry between two really interesting characters, and they just dump him. They just it's put him in jail. Bizarre. It's bizarre. It's very strange. Um, obviously, you know he wins. And in case people are wondering that a white savior saved China, no, he didn't. It was the uh, the commander, Commander Lin, who's, who saves the Empire um, and saves him in the process. And they work together. And it's a really good, um, I guess, bit at the end of the movie. A uh, few points to make. Again, CGI was very good. Uh, chemistry was terrible, uh, for the most part, between the main characters. Um, there's a lot of odd moments in the movie where things are done for spectacle rather than purpose or re- like internal consistency is an important thing yes there are dragons but we we still need to be consistent within the the um economy of the world we still need to be consistent as to what we establish at the start the, of the, the narrative too it's got to have its own yeah consistency exactly to take you from beginning to end yeah and there was this really odd moment where they introduced commander lynn and her all-female um private uh, not private, it's, it's still part of the army, but they're just the specialized like best troops. No, they're like the best shock troops of the army, right? Mm. And it's a really cool moment, and they... I must say one thing, it's the most colorful army I've ever seen in my life. They're bright blues, bright reds, bright Excellent. yellows. It's it's different, you know? It's nice to see something that isn't just brown. Mm. Uh, Green. Brown and silver and metal and mesh. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, that was good. Um, but these bright blue... Um, shock troop vanguards stand on the edge of the wall near these trampoline styled uh things and they bungee jump (laughs) off the wall and like run down the wall which which just looks pretty good Uh, and they have these two spears in their hands and they use the spears to like kill these these dragon things Mm -hmm. but let's think about the so far so good (laughs) so far so good now let me drop the the problems here it's an army of probably millions of of dragons mm-hmm. that are scaling a wall together. You have a limited number of troops, but instead you throw these troops down a wall in which 90% of them are killed. It's, it's, it's not good tactics. <laughs> and somehow we're meant to go, wow, that was really good. When basically bodies come flying up off the wall and you're like, those are really good troops. <sighs> and they only kill one. If they do get one, they only put a knife in one of them. Uh, it 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 was that moment where I know it's well, they're trying it, to pull off the the noble sacrifice. Uh, yeah, and I know it. It seems like <laughs> I'm nitpicking, but this took me out of the movie. Yeah. I sat back in my chair and my little notebook in my hand, and I thought, why? That's yeah. It yeah. sounds like uh, tossing tossing the elves off the orcs. Yeah, with, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's the defense of um, throw them next Isengard, <laughs> and you're literally chucking Legolas down a wall <laughs> to get killed. Um, <laughs> Instead, <laughs> this is the thing that really riles me up. The wall has, <laughs> and I can't say this without laughing, but it has blades that come out of the wall. Mechanical blades that come out of the wall and murder 
thousands of these beasts. Why don't you do that? Yeah, I'd use that first. At, at the start. Yeah. But for dramatic yeah. tension, we're uh, like, oh, they can't show the black powder until the end, so then the the Westerners know where the black powder is kept. Uh, yeah. mm. But instead, they use the black powder when they're all going to die anyway. And you, and you think, what about all those lives? What about all those people that just bungee jumped to death? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know. I... I would urge you to go watch the movie simply to just make me feel better, to, to <laughs> confirm my com- you know confirmation bias and tell me it's a bad movie. Um, so wrap all this up. Long story short, unfortunately, I really wanted to like it. I couldn't. I, mm. I just couldn't. If you watch the first 40 to an hour of the movie, switch it off there because that's a great <laughs> finale. They win. They beat the wall. It's great. Everyone has good chemistry. Excellent. Just switch it off. Right. Um, but... Uh, very, very sad and uh, opportunity lost, considering it uh, was one of the biggest budget movies made in China and just like massive amounts of money spent. They should have hired a writer. <laughs> <laughs> but that is the saddest thing, isn't it, with some movies? Mm. That, yeah, some movies are just bad mm. and could never be redeemed. But ones that have got good bits, you think, got yeah, it, could, it yeah. could have been yep. good. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, opportunity lost. The waste of it, yeah. yeah. A, a real big waste. You had A-list yeah. Uh, stars like they weren't wanting oh. um, for for stars at all in that movie, um, and the Chinese actors are very well known within their own home base as well. So, you know, it was success from the start if they could just pull it off. But unfortunate, could have been. So now let's finish the positive sandwich off, Luke. <laughs> Give me what you got. Start with the negatives and we'll end with the positives. Negatives. Oh gosh, if you I haven't, haven't, I'm not throwing in negatives this time. Oh great, <laughs> it's even better. Film. So I went uh, last night, actually, to the Moonlight Cinema with my wife to watch La La Land. Talk to me about La And that La is La a Land. good film. It's so a good happy. film. I'm, I, first of all, I don't know anything about Oscars, but my wife wait, wait, does. So. Wait, you actually went and watched La La Land? Or did yes. you go watch Moonlight? Like, uh... No, Moonlight Cinema had La La Land. No, it's an Oscars joke. It's okay. Yes, the audience yes, is They did that right too, now. and it was a very boring joke there too. <laughs> <laughs> it was worse for them because, you know, anyway. Yeah, that um, was but no, it was, you know, it's you get a lot of films where it says you can get your dreams and your girl yeah. and or your boy or whatever film yeah. it's um, focusing on. But but this one was uh, a bit more on the skeptical, critical side. Where mm. It was like you know, you can if you want to. Oh, I wrote this down. If you want to follow your dreams, you have to want to follow your dreams through. And actually took yeah so it started off kind of with the lighter side of things and then it got to a middle point where um you would have thought most of the airy fairy um films would have said ah that's it that's the end happy happy ending blah 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 it said by the way dot 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 and then kept going Mm. and it was actually beautifully done um most of the music was uh traditional traditional jazz yeah uh, with a few various other songs as well. Uh, it was a musical, which did throw me off at the start because I was like, hang on, what happened there? And then the title came up. Oh, it hasn't even started yet. And it was a mu- whole song first. But uh, so I, I didn't get the point of it at first. But then, you know, after you delve through the first bit of musical, I haven't, I don't know, I, I never watched high school musicals. Um, so apart from Disney cartoons, that's a bit of a, a weird thing for me. Um, but. Even 
there was a weird sensation that I didn't think the dancers agreed with the lyrics of the songs. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, Too active, perhaps? No, no, no. It was more that it didn't seem to convey the mood of the words. But oh. at the same time, the film was trying to give um, a huge impression that the the actors or sorry, the characters were cut off from reality a lot of the time. They, they were Their minds were mm. out of reality. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this as well, Michael. Yeah, yes, yes, I have. But, um, yeah, that, that was at least the impression that it seemed to be. A lot of, um, like, uh, the the male character who, I don't remember his name. I should Ryan know Gosling. all the names. Yeah, I'm not talking the about actor. the actor, I'm talking about the character. <laughs> I haven't seen them. Before. But um, uh, where he's he's constantly convinced that he's going to get somewhere and he's... He's living without any money and he's not getting anywhere. He's not, he, he's trying to, he's playing music for a place that doesn't like his style and does, it, saying, look, just play this. He's like, well, there's no soul in that and I can't play it properly. I can't, I can't give myself to it. So he can't um, live his dreams. Um, but he still has it in his head that he's getting somewhere. And I thought that was, that's quite a good, um, retelling of the Achieving Your Dream story. Um, I'm sure Michael has some better comments than me because ah. I'm not as... <laughs> I've only just seen it, so I'm still processing mm. it. But, yeah, I, um, I saw it back in January and um, it's had universal praise mm-hmm. and the oh. equal number of Academy Award nominations yeah. of, uh, of all time. <laughs> and uh, I walked out of it and I thought, oh, there's something wrong with me. Because I, I didn't like it. Mm. I didn't like it at all. Mm. And I, I looked on Facebook and on Twitter and all of these intelligent people who I count as friends were saying yeah. how much I loved it. And I'm thinking, it, it, it's, <laughs> I, I am a mutant in some way. Mm. But, uh, I found it tedious. It was about a third too long. Yeah. It just it was drawn out. The music and the songs for a musical, they were really unmemorable. Mm. <laughs> The music no. wasn't, but the songs were. Uh, you think the music was as well? Uh, it depends on the, the what is it? Oh, the hang on. Depends on the song because there were a couple of good songs. Or the non-diegetic <laughs> music. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. So there were songs, deliberate songs mm-hmm. that were in their fantasy sequences, mm. and then there was some music he was playing in the yeah. jazz club. The music he was playing in jazz club. That, that was good stuff. That was yeah, fine. yeah. Yep, not a problem. But the yeah. um, the musical music. Yeah, the sort of threw it out of it. Yeah, a, yeah um, they they were not, not <laughs> memorable in my mind. And what 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 took me most, and it took me some time to think this one through. What I didn't like about it most was it it didn't earn our engagement. Mm. It insisted on it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, good. It 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 the the main relationship couldn't warm to it all, but they kept saying how much in love they were. They kept but insisting yeah, that they were romantic, but they didn't demonstrate the romance. You didn't see any romance. There was mm. a little bit of gazing into each other's eyes, but yeah. not a lot of of romantic moments as yeah. such. There were these odd cutaways where they, they, they would be leaving each other, they'd be going somewhere else, and they'd be meeting up and they'd be doing so. But there wasn't a lot of romantic moments mm. as mm. such. Yeah, they the singing and the dancing was. Um, well, if I could sing and dance that well, I'd be pretty, <laughs> I'd be pretty happy. But 
for a musical. <laughs> oh, mm. goodness me. They, they were wooden and thin. Wooden dancing, thin singing. Mm. And, uh, no, I... I yeah, I, 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 I couldn't, couldn't come at it at all. And I love a musical. I love a musical. So mm. I knew what I was in for. Good, yeah. I knew it was a musical. And I know how musicals work. They're fancy moments. You mm-hmm. sort of come in and out of uh, uh, the real world. Yep. You have your moments where you're dancing and you're not being run over by traffic. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's fine. That's the way it works. Yeah. And what you say in songs is all, all good and it's all part. And it, should, it should match the music. Mm. And it should match the moment. Uh, but no, I, I, I just, I just couldn't come at it at all. In the end, my initial response was, was negative, and my considered response was more negative. Mm, <laughs> but yeah. I, I'm in the minor, I'm in the absolute minority. I, People are in love with the movie. It's, it's really curious, Michael. You mentioned that because I, I don't think you're a mutant. Weirdly enough, um, I think. <laughs> There was this article I, I read, and I would agree with it. Um, I haven't I haven't seen the movie, um, but the article is talking about the idea that La La Land is very very polarizing. You either yeah. really like the movie, or you absolutely despise it because of the um, the way it deals with um, the story. Yeah. The 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 execution of the story, not the not yeah. the story itself, but the just execution. what what goes on. And it's curious because what you're telling me it mm. sounds exactly the same. Mm. Um, and and the person who's writing the article was saying that they didn't like the uh, the movie at all. If if it hadn't been so hyped, if it hadn't been so mm, overpraised, yeah, I would have come out and said, oh, yeah, it wasn't great. I would have had this sort of a great war response. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that 200 was, Oscars, yeah, really? Yeah, I had yeah. some moments. Yeah, but, uh, well, yeah, no failure, but it was all right. <laughs> but because of the, yeah. the exaggerated praise, really uh, mm. no, I'm... I'm, I'm I'm judging it more <laughs> firmly. Well, that's curious because I haven't seen La La Land and I'm planning to see I, it. I think you should, you need to see, mm. you need to see a movie that's got 14 Academy Awards <laughs> nominated. Seriously. Yeah. If, if you're looking at the, the oeuvre, you're looking at the um, the industry yeah. today, yep, yeah, you've got to have a look at it. Yeah, it's interesting because I've, mm. I've always, uh, I'm probably going to see it quite soon and my my initial reaction to things like this is as soon as it gets enough praise, it's immediately like, now, why is that? Yeah. Does that mean I'm yeah. not going to yeah. get it in some way? And I immediately have like, an, oh, I might not like it. So therefore, I'm usually quite, you know, positively surprised by things. But um, yeah, we'll see. It's mm. it's curious, but it's really good that we have a range of... Um, yes. I don't think any the less of you, Luke, for like <laughs> No. <laughs> see, the thing is... But uh, you think less of Michael for, for <laughs> not liking yeah. it, right? We're, no, it's actually... We're agreed. <laughs> I had a lot more um, negative feelings about it as soon as I'd seen it, but my wife had rather higher opinions of it, so I, I kind of tried to balance it out. But it's, it's good that you've pointed out, especially those... Um, aspects of it because uh, I think probably the breaking moment other than the you know before the title came out me thinking hang on what happened and why is it relevant yeah yeah, yeah. Um, apart from that um, I, I'm sure you remember the moment when they're in the they're looking they're in the car parking lot or you know on the hill mm. Mm. and yep. they're doing this incredibly involved dance and saying oh the, the night's wasted uh, I'm like, hang on. <laughs> yeah, it was. It There's was, no real dichotomy between. <laughs> and that's another thing. It, it it tried to have a foot in two camps often. It mm. tried to be serious and it tried to be 
uh, whimsical mm. all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Now, you, you can do them both, but not at the same time. Have the courage of your convictions. Go full on whimsical or full on serious, mm. uh, and you can pace that through a movie. But it seemed to be half-hearted because of that. Um, yeah. Mm. It, but yeah, it, it made made me think about movies and what they're trying to do and how they're structured and who they're appealing to. And mm-hmm. well, it's very much a 21st century movie. I mean, you can't fault the technique, the cinematic techniques. Uh, well done. Mm. But they, they still can't dance. <laughs> <laughs> they, look, they look at their feet. <laughs> Marionettes. There we go. Yes. Any others, and, Luke? No, it's good. Good um, wrap up there. There you go. Fantastic. Now, Thank oh, you for that. wait, we've got one thing to talk about, you oh, and me. Yes. A very secret service. A very secret service. The French satire on their... Um, <laughs> on their own secret service. <laughs> on their own secret service during the around the war in Algiers, pretty much, um, and the events leading up to it. But uh, what what did you think? I loved it. I think uh, it's brilliant. You like it? I'm so as happy. Soon, yeah. As soon as they... Um, Pretty much as soon as they looked at the, the guy's suit and laughed at it, because it's a modern suit, yeah. I was like, oh, what? It's, yeah, it's, it's good. so good. How did you... <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, A Very Secret Service, uh, for those that don't know, is uh, it's it's really well produced. Um, it's quite, I guess, in that way, it's, uh, it's shot within very campy locations. Like, you can tell this is a movie set or something like that, especially when they go to Algiers and it's like... It's these two scenes of a cafe shot in a, in a street like alley, um, where it's you know obviously not there, but it's done so well, um, and the characters are engaging and funny. Like the the fellow agents are all corrupt and massively corrupt and you know uh, humorous. There's a um, there's also some pointed uh, um, comic relief on when it when it talks about um, you know the the first uh, the first bombings. Uh, and I and I won't spoil mm. it for you, but Luke, but um, yeah, if anyone hasn't seen it, a very secret service. I believe it's on Netflix. It um, is, yeah. Give it a shot. It's all in French, uh, English subtitles. Subtitles, but, yes. Uh, That's richer for it, I think. Yeah, it really is. And there's a later. There's a scene where two Americans. I never liked dubs. I don't like dubs. Yeah, there's two American. I think CIA agents that come and they speak to them, but they speak French so badly that they're <laughs> constantly <laughs> criticizing them during the conversation, and it's it's brilliant. But uh, yeah, oh, it sounds good. I look for it. Do give it a shot. Um, just, right. just them trying to pronounce the um, uh, Algerian people's <laughs> names at the start. Just <laughs> it's so cringeworthy. It's cringeworthy, and it's, it makes it fantastic. Such the dry humor oh, throughout. It's, it's just great. So well done. And, and I think perhaps it's for that reason that maybe it might not be very popular, especially for an American audience, because they they prefer like a different kind uh, of humor. Outward, yeah, yeah, outward like comedy, um, you can see that comedy. with their sitcoms, but. Yeah, this one is as dry as it comes, and the Brits are like it. No one laughs in that show, but it is a incredibly funny show. So, um, very very good watching. Um, but I will follow up with that um, over the couple of weeks. Look, we'll I write this down this time. Yeah, an actual follow up. Here we go. <laughs> Podcast promises are never kept. It's all right. <laughs> well, we are moving on um, to a discussion. Uh, about literature, funny enough. It's almost as if we're not a uh, literature podcast or anything. Um, But Michael mentioned, towards the end of his discussion about La La Land, uh, talking about the 21st century and the idea of audience expectation. Funny enough, this is our topic. We're talking about the idea of serving your audience. And particularly within Michael's field at the moment is we're talking about YA fiction. So 
it'll be easier to focus the discussion around that and we can talk about the topics there. Um, and we're talking about the idea of audience expectation, serving your audience, how far can you push the boundaries? How far can you stretch out um, comfortable narratives that people expect and want to read and subverting it or switching it around? Is it a wise thing to do? Is it brave to do it? Or is it just not, shouldn't be done? And should you just do what your audience wishes that you would? And, you know, how do you identify what that audience <laughs> is? Um, all these questions are quite broad. I think it's an interesting topic and I think we're going to pick it up with a few different authors this year. Um, we've, throughout the last uh, two years, we've, um, bounced around the place. Last year, particularly, we were talking about mechanical um, aspects, the mechanics, the inside baseball of actually putting together writing. And the previous year, we talked about industry stuff. So this year, we're going to talk specifically around this idea of writing for this audience, and you know, uh, you know, around the edges mm -hmm. of what we can get away with in that. So let's start off with you, Michael. Um, so when you when you sit down, when you put pen or finger to keyboard um does it strike you will my audience like this yeah it, it does uh i always have a sense of what that i'm writing for an audience i'm not writing for me mm -hmm. um having having said that i am writing for me too i, mm -hmm. I do want to write the sort of story i would like yes. to read uh and if i wasn't doing that i think i think the job would be uh, a labour would a bit be of a sham too. Oh, it'd be a pain, I think. Mm. Mm. But uh, so I am writing for a definite audience, and mm -hmm. so uh, first step, I need to have a sense of that audience. Yep. It always strikes me as odd. I, I do uh, because I work, I meet uh, lots of authors, and especially lots of authors for young younger readers, and some of them they don't mix, they don't see young readers, they, they they don't see children, they don't see teenagers, and they mm. they have very little actual knowledge of these young people mm. whereas I do I visit lots mm. of schools I, yeah. I do the festivals I, uh, all of that business and I um, and I like to think that I, I keep some level of engagement with them so I can understand Gage. some of their mm -hmm. expectations to use yep. the key word for the discussion tonight so you need to have a sense of the audience before you can uh, divine the expectations mm. and then try to meet the expectations. So it, it, it is a two-step process like that. Uh, and the, the better sense of writing for an audience you have, the better you can shape your work for them mm -hmm. uh, so, that, so that you feel that it, that it will engage them, that it will appeal to them. Now, that doesn't mean that you that you can't subvert expectations, that you can't turn expectations mm -hmm. on their head, that you can't... I mean, we're always trying to... We don't want them to be comfortable. Mm. We don't want them to to pick up the book and know exactly how it's going to pan out. I mean, that, mm. that, that's just boring. So within this, this broad sense of expectation that they have, yeah, you try to trick them, you mm. try to fool them, you try to lead them astray, you try to turn things upside down when they least expect it. To subvert their expectations and, subvert the and play expectation. with it. it. It is a way to keep it's a way to keep the form fresh. It's a way to keep people reading because mm. if they do feel like they know what's going to happen, uh, that just the turning the pages will be tedious. Mm. Uh, the the most common response I get for why kids like a book or, or the sort of book they like, they want to keep 
they want to know what's going to happen next. They want to keep reading because they want to find out the what's going to tennis. happen to that character you've, mm. uh, you've uh, immersed them with. Uh, so then it comes down to the tricks of the trade to try to do all of that. Mm. Mm-hmm. When you talk about young adult um, as an area, it's so broad, though, that they, they pick up that book uh, and what, what are they going to get? Yeah, it, it could be almost anything. Then it mm. starts to divide itself into the genre yeah, within, areas. within the different genres. And so going off that, it was quite interesting. Um, I was, uh, I remember listening to another podcast. Yes, I actually do listen to other podcasts. Um, and they were talking about the idea that trailers, this, this is related somehow, but trailers are, have been changing over the years to meet what people actually want to see. So for instance... Um, if you go back and you watch, I don't know, the trailer for Scarface or ah, um, so The to, Godfather. To maximize the um, Yeah, it, if you look at those trailers, the, they yeah. tell you nothing in those trailers. <laughs> yeah. The trailers yeah. are random shots in the yes. film that yeah. clip together and no possible sense of the word. Every time they show you a cast member, they might show him like holding a gun or something. But that has <laughs> got nothing to do with the movie. Yep. Um, today, we have a three-act structure within a trailer. We, in many ways, we give them the story and we prepare them for the movie. And it was curious because a lot of people, mm. when surveyed, mm. say, will you watch this movie? And they ask the question, does the main character die? And they actually would like an answer because the idea is if he does, and we're talking specifically in this, in this and I don't want to make this too generalized, mm-hmm. we're talking about an American audience for an adult uh, movie. So, you know, um, no ambiguity there. Um and they, they watch the trailer, and they want to see how the movie is going to go before they watch the movie. And, and, and this is a technique that now we are seeing. And there are films that subvert this expectation. Hmm. Rogue One being the example of, uh, sorry, um, Star Wars of Force Awakens, showing a character who's not actually the main character wielding the lightsaber. Hmm. And we all think, oh, he's the Jedi, right? Um, and then you watch the movie, and that's hmm. not the case. So that's one reason. But hmm. there's this idea... Now, here's a question. If I pick up, and let's narrow the discussion down within YA, because like you said, it's a massive um, audience. So let's narrow it down to a genre. Let's say speculative. And let's say the fantasy. So within that, fantasy, science fiction, steampunk, etc. Now, there's a few conventions, I guess, that I have picked up as an observer in YA fiction, where the characters are usually young. Um, They're usually the main character of of the story in some way. They face trouble or adversity, and the usual protagonist fair within all genres. Um, and most of the time, they live. Hmm. Now, if I were to say to you, Michael, I want you to write a story in which all these things happen, but in some way is a tragedy. In some way, the main character fails in a Macbethian situation and dies at the end of the story. And that could be either physical or a idea of a failure in, in some instance. And let's make it even narrow and say it's not a series, but it'd be the end of a series. Now, these are probably things a publisher wouldn't want to, to take. Mm. Am I right? I think that's a great idea. Mm. That is a sensational, uh, non-conventional narrative. Do you think it would be popular, though? Do you think people would actually uh, yeah. enjoy that? Yeah, I with the uh, if it's done right, yeah. if it's done right, it could be sensational because 
Uh, I mean, it's a, the the classic Game of Thrones sub- subverting. Yeah. Like, he's not mm. going to die. He's a he- he's not going to die. He's the hero. He's yeah. the, oh, his head's come off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but to do that in young adult fiction, there are people sort of playing around with a few of those things. But but a real uh, classic tragedy mm. arc right through to to the moment of realisation, but downfall yeah. uh, and death, no, that, that would be sensational and really worth doing. Mm. Uh, mm. They, they're, uh, they're a down, certainly downbeat okay. young adult books, not so much in the speculative fiction, but in the sure. area of the, the realistic yes. contemporary yep. fiction. Yep. There are a lot of the uh, things... The spiralling yeah. down of life, love and, lost, and oh, dreadful yeah. things happening in all sorts of ways to, to in urban family yeah. situation. So, in a way, it's sort of expected that they're going to end up poor. Yeah. But yeah. within spec fic, you're right. Yeah. Uh, especially for for teens, it's the idea. It's they're often Upbeats, uh, power yeah. fantasies. Yeah, they, they they come into their own and they they yeah. succeed. And at the end, they're better yeah. than they were at the start. But to turn it around and have somebody, look, perhaps on an upward trajectory, is mm. uh, a classic tragedy would be. But then the downfall mm. due to like some the, um, internal flaw. The many snickets, unfortunate events. Now of every book. It. Yeah, exactly. Mm. <laughs> uh, I, I think that sort of thing. We need more of that. Mm. Um, th- th- there is a lot at the moment in young adult fantasy of romantic fantasy, where yep. uh, there'll be the, the young, uh, the young heroes, and they will achieve something, and they will come together in a romantic pairing mm. towards the end. Mm. And oh, it's a lot of wish fulfilment, yep. and it's a lot of, uh, and everything is like heightened and stuff. Yeah. E- everyone's gorgeous. Yeah, everyone's <laughs> powerful. Yep. And Watch the, the hundred. <laughs> the bad, gu- the bad guys are really bad and evil. Yes, and it's pretty black and white. It's a, it's a yeah, black yeah, and white yeah. world. Yeah. yeah. It's got its attractions, got its uh, enjoyment. Of course, people lap it up, yeah. But for something a little bit more nuanced, there is there is room room for it. And the publishers, they're more than happy to look at genre busting. Mm. They're more than happy to look at people who will push at the edges. Yeah, Yeah, they'd love to have the uh, blockbuster, the same as the last blockbuster. Yep, Uh, but. The next, the next blockbuster may well be the one that breaks them all, subverts. Mm. Yeah. That does so, so let's talk more about that. John, John Marsden, the Day After Tomorrow series. Mm. That was a similar arc for yep. young adults as well. Yep. Yep. Empowerment, coming of age. I mean, it's really and then important. like the actually severe deaths in a lot of the books, and and that, that was and that is that is the moment where all bets are off. Yeah. Suddenly, anything can happen. Anything can happen. And that and that uncertainty. Is equally enthralling for a reader. Now these Still people page who, turner, yeah. who, at the back of my mind, I'd really they're going to be okay yeah, because they always are. Yeah. Uh, now, oh, geez, now I better keep reading to see. Just in case, yeah. Yep. It's curious. You mentioned publishers, and I want to touch on this point again. Within publishing, um, there's a. I think Dr. Ewan Mitchell, who was on the podcast, mentioned. And he tweeted about this, and he's talked about this many times, but he said that the publisher's paradox is the idea that they want something new, <laughs> but they want a um, something they can look back on and say, well, that, that was successful, so then this can work. Yeah. Within this within this framework, which is a you know fairly understandable, though very hard it's to achieve. It's useful for them, but it also hampers them, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> within that framework, do you think um, that... 
yes, the, an author could do that. But say, for instance, an author that has uh, very little ties to the industry, very little experience coming in uh, with an agent or something, and then they're putting this risque book out there hmm. for an audience that is quite well established, quite well known what their expectations hmm. are, and putting this out there. Do you think it would work? Uh, Obviously, yeah. there's a lot of, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> is the book... Can, yeah, yeah, is yeah, there yeah, grammar yeah. in the book? There's actually <laughs> a, a great example I can come up with, um, mm. if you don't mind me butting in. Sure. Uh, it was actually one of uh, Neil Gaiman's books, uh, Coraline. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah when he took it to his publisher, she was like, there's no way we're publishing this. This is not something for kids. Kids will not like this. And he said, give it to your, I think it was daughter. Mm. And her daughter loved it. Mm. And, and they published it, and it was a huge success. Well, my, my counter to the, that is... But the is, editors and the publishers like, we're not going to take this. My counter to that is he's Neil Gaiman, though. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is, this is true. But again, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's still a situation where... Yeah, of course. They weren't going to publish it, even though he was Neil Gaiman. Yeah. And he said, look, give it to the kids. See Publish, what they think. Publishers uh, <laughs> love a guaranteed bestseller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't <laughs> they? Yeah. But where do you get a guarantee <laughs> from? <laughs> and the nearest thing that they can get is a big name. Yeah. It's yep. already published. Uh, or... A book that's similar to that yep. last really big so so big so, so, yeah. so it does it does tend to encourage safe yeah narratives. safe decisions mm. safe purchases for them, mm. but safety isn't always the way to go. Mm. I mean, the, you've got, the, 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 the you've got a risk reward. The audience does get tired of things. Yeah, mm. uh, and just speaking from uh, uh, about writers, that I always counsel people. Avoid trend spotting mm. because by the time you spot the trend and you write your book and you it's the, moved the, on, the, the trend's gone. It's moved on. So if you spot a trend, you just say to yourself, You're much better off inventing a time machine and going back about three <laughs> years writing the book. Yep. That, that's much easier. There you go. A book about a writer going back in time to write the best book. <laughs> but, uh, but. I, I will say, I've actually done a little bit of slush pile reading mm. for an agent over the last. Um, Last six months or so, just as a favour, uh, and what what jumps out most of all of these books, of these manuscripts, of these stories coming, you read them, and within a couple of pages, and I know this this is you should read the entire thing. Within yeah, yeah. a couple of pages, you get a feel. Yeah, this has got something. Yep, and it. Most often, it's got the the basics of your, your, your prose is right, everything the yeah. full stops are right, and so so you're <laughs> yeah. not going oh every second yeah. sentence. Yeah, yeah. But you get past Even that. Even slush pile. <laughs> oh yeah. But uh, you you get past that, and what what does make make a book? Give it that that X factor is uh, voice. Mm. It mm-hmm. sounds good. There's a character talking to you off the There's a location jumping off mm. the page at you, mm. uh, and the characters. So the voice and the characters. So the characters are interesting. They're, they're nuanced. They're, they're they're layered. They're quirky, and the voice of the prose off the page. Mm. And so if somebody come, I would imagine somebody presenting. A really offbeat, subverting, defying all the paradigms and the uh, the rules of successful young adult yeah. speculative fiction publishing of the moment. Yeah. Someone comes in with this one that's just it's got vigor, it's got energy, yeah. uh, voices off the page, and we've got this pert that the, the the main character is this 
dreadful teenager who's who's really ambitious and will stab everybody yeah. in the back to to get her way mm. and climb to the top but has a dreadful past and is and likes mm. likes her kittens there's mm. the nuance yeah uh, and if it's if it's working it's working mm. yeah, they, they they will look at it and look at it very from unknown people it's interesting you mentioned trend setting um, and I, I can see you want to come in here, but one, one second. And the, there's this, I, I remember watching this article on TV uh, and they were talking about a organization in Germany. Now, I cannot tell you the name of it, and I promise you it's real. Uh, a, um, I believe it's, 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 this, uh, they work on statistics. They work on trends and mm. um, it, within publishing. And they publish a, <laughs> a trend page of some yeah. kind where it, it talks about um, mm. what's been published in what kind of setting and genre. Mm. And for the most part, they also predict, which is with the little iffy bit here, um, they predict what will be the next big trend. And it's curious because I remember the vampire trend where a lot of writers went on that bandwagon and some of them were quite successful mm. with it. Mm. Um, others, not so much, and their careers sort of fishtailed into nothingness at the moment which is unfortunate for them but i'm sure they'll rebound with something else the interesting thing is they said that after the vampire trend because people's minds were occupied with the supernatural they would be more um engaged to go to angels and demons fiction yep and that that even though it hit Mm. the shelves i haven't heard a single book that was incredibly popular in that trend so that there you go with that it's very hard to call things, and it, it may be that a lot of people read various things, but not one of them became the, the next Twilight uh, in, that, in that regard. It's a tough industry like that, and people, the, the, these people in well-paid jobs lie awake at night <laughs> considering the, these questions mm. of how, how to get there. Has that book that I paid that enormous advance <laughs> for, it, will it just sink without a trace? Yeah. Mm. And, and, and they do. I mean, the notion of uh, yeah, vampires sort of broke the wall and then a whole lot of soup. I, I saw angels, I saw fairy books, mm. I saw werewolf books, yep. uh, a whole lot of things. And that, that, that they, there were a number of them that did okay. Yeah. But none of them, well, not, not many things have matched Twilight, really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Hunger Games, the yep. Hunger Games. Uh, and that was followed. at all, not thematically related in the slightest. I mean, but that uh, broke the ground for Mm. the wave of dystopian. Dystopian Mm. young adult fiction, yeah. Yep. And, yes, you get the coattail hangers, the people who ride along. Then the people who think, "Mm, I'm a little bit like, so I'll try something like it, but sideways, a werewolf dystopia. And and sometimes sometimes they click. Sometimes they don't. uh, Mm. But it's the tough, these are the tough decisions Mm. of publishing. Um, goes just goes back to good stuff. Good stuff works. Good stuff will out almost mm. always. I think that, uh, and it might be the twenty seventh publisher you put it in front yeah. of, uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it, somebody somebody will respond and somebody will uh, will put it out there. But Luke, I, I know I'm flying off the topic here, but uh, when you were doing that slush pile reading, um, were there any well, I mean, you, you were saying there's some books that popped out at you, but were there any that popped out at you that you then handed to the agent and they said, oh, wow, that is really good? Or was it kind of like a, that's eh, all right? Uh, no, no, we um, because there were a few of us, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't quite voting. If two out of three of you like it, I'll take yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> but if 
two out of three said, you know what, this is worth looking at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the agent looked at it. I actually haven't followed up. I, I should do that. But uh, when I uh, when I left, she certainly was intending to follow up with these people. Mm. And because the way it was working is this was a sample. Yeah. They were presenting yeah, a few course, chapters. Yeah. So I'm sure the follow-up for some of these people was going to be, yeah, show us, show us, and the, it's show us the whole thing. Show us the whole thing, yeah. So, and at least one of them, there, there was... I'm thinking while I'm talking. There was a sense of voice, sense of character, but it was just you felt like you're incapable. Had this read like a book, mm. not mm. like a beginner effort at a book. Mm. If you, you, yeah, 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 an assignment. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it just uh, if it were in co- if it wasn't a word document printed out, but if it were in covers, you'd be you thinking, could believe it. Yeah, yeah th- th- this is this is pro. Yeah, so yeah, good. Yeah. yeah, that that person and that person had had written non-fiction and been a journalist. And mm. so uh, f- there seemed to be some right, okay. facility with the language for mm-hmm. a start. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't highfalutin or anything. It was just you know, nice, solid. crisp sentences, mm-hmm. nice, solid, Good workmanlike in that sense. Yep. But it was lifted by this um, character who was it was a first-person narrative. They were speaking, mm. that, uh, speaking off the page. Mm. And you thought, sounds like a person. Mm. Interesting. Like that. That's good. It is fascinating. And I, speaking again off the topic, mm. but slush pile reading is a really worthwhile thing to do. It, mm. it, I, again, I counsel emerging writers to, if they can ever get the chance to slush pile read, do it. Mm. Because on the one hand, it's reassuring because you see stuff and think, geez, I'm better, I've got to be better than that. And on the other hand, it just shows you what's out there, shows you mm. the range, the range of goodness. That there's, there's sort of not one formula for goodness. There are multiple ways to be to present a good story, mm. and that that gives you room, should give you confidence to think, yeah, I can fit in there. Yeah, and and the rubbish is is inspirational in that. <laughs> How does one read slush piles or get to read slush piles? Yeah, well, you contact magazines. Uh, there are various writers groups around. Uh, literary magazines are often looking for. You contact them and okay. say, "I would like to." And so it's because a, it's I, a going volunteer thing all the time, or yeah. Uh, it often isn't a go into the office. They will distribute them mm. to you. Okay. And yeah, you, yeah. you'll get some time to read them. Read it by the fire? Yeah. <laughs> now, I know this particularly for Orealis, the magazine that mm. uh, I work with. And they all, they are always looking for slush pile readers uh, because there's a lot of people who send in stuff and the more hands they have, the quicker they can process them and get responses back. Mm-hmm. So get... Uh, decreases turnaround time the more readers mm. that they have and i'm sure on the orealis website somewhere if you're interested in slush piling uh for science fiction fantasy horror you um put your hand up i'd be glad to have you there you go well to plug orealis it's a good idea you should do that if you're listening to the podcast right now indeed good people to work with michael's mm-hmm. Among them, Dirk Strasser's... Is she still there? Yep. yep. Should Dirk Strasser, <laughs> Stephen Higgins, and uh, Stephen Higgins, we're yeah. in charge, and all sorts of good people. It's a good involved. team. Yep. yep. Luke would know he was working with them for a little while, so yes, he's always told me good things about it. So there you go. Well, the time is almost up on an hour, and we've had a great time. Well, at least I have. And thank you so much for having uh, coming on again, Michael. It's been a delight to have you. Um, this uh, topic will probably be picked up, ladies and gentlemen, once again by various writers talking about different genres. Um, and then we can go off there, send us your questions if you have anything you want to ask. 
um, we can definitely follow up on that at a later time. Uh, Michael, won't you tell us what you've got coming up for um, the year, if you have any um, anything you'd like to spruce? Sure. This is the yeah, time. 2017, looking ahead for 2017. Next month is the release of a landmark young adult anthology mm. from HarperCollins. It's called Begin, End, Begin. It's got ooh, eight or nine excellent young adult writers of whom I'm uh, really honoured to be part of. Uh, and that will be making a splash. It's uh, had quite a build-up already, and so that will be coming out next month. Begin, end, begin. Uh, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, later in the year, in August, I have my novel for the year is coming out. Uh, it's coming out from Alan and Unwin. It is called Gap Year in Ghost Town. It is a contemporary nice. urban ghost story, which is, it's funny. It's funny, it's scary, it's got everything. And in fact, some ways I like to think of it, it's a book that everyone should read and buy for their friends. <laughs> <laughs> for your friends, family. You don't want to build it up too much. Of course. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. It, it, it was a classic case of that's the sort of book I'd like to read. Mm. And so I was uh, having a lot of fun there. Fantastic. Mm. Great. Luke, where can we find well, you? You can still find me at The Soul Shard on Twitter or at thesoulshard.com. Fantastic. For any updates. Beautiful. And puns. And puns. That's right. Or references anyway. I'm not as big on the puns at the moment. Yeah, you've decreased <laughs> on the puns, which is a thumbs up from me. Um, <laughs> fantastic. Michael, uh, your Twitter and website by any chance? Yep, just look for Michael Pryor on Facebook. Uh, on Twitter, it's Michael J. Pryor. There's another Michael Pryor. <laughs> <laughs> and Stolen. on Instagram, I am Michael Pryor, author. So just have a look around and my website. You can find me via Google, but it's mm-hmm. www.michaelpryor.com.au. Mm-hmm. And to the other Michael Pryor, obviously not as uh, charming or interesting, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Um, well, The Morning Bell, you can find it at themorningbell.com.au. Uh, we have officially taken over the site pretty much, um, and you can find us on the front page there. Um, there was a slight problem with the archive uh, over the last week and a bit, which is why the episode with Elizabeth Flux was delayed, but it's up now, so you can have a look at that. And uh, hopefully there won't be any interruptions, but the internet and technology is a fickle thing, and uh, we can't control that always. Um well, the next podcast will not be in the uh, Brunswick Street Bookstore. It will be at, on the Gold Coast on the 15th of March at the Somerset Celebration of Literature. Um, we're welcome there. to join in. That's, <laughs> that's right. Um, we're there to cover the festival, to talk to numerous guests um, uh, in the similar field as Michael Pry, working in YA fiction, uh, various forms within various genres in there. We have some great guests lined up that I've already confirmed. Uh, I don't want to um, preempt too much as it's times are a thing that we need to work out. Um, but there's a few returning guests as well um, mm. that you've heard on the mic before. So we look forward to having you there. It should be a fantastic time, I think. Uh, Ian will be joining me. Uh, Luke won't be this time, but we hope to get him on some festival tours in the future. Um, So there we go. You'll hear us then. Thank you very much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. We hope you have a good one, and we'll see you on the next podcast.